Hello, my name is David Coletta, and I'm the senior leader at Mission Community Church. Before you begin watching the Sermon of the Week, allow me to pray that you might encounter God right there where you are. Father, I ask that your spirit will be present right where people are watching this video. May they be receptive to the voice of your spirit as they watch in Jesus' name, amen. From all of us at MCC, may God bless you as you watch this week's message.
ever watched the game Family Feud? How many of you have ever seen Family Feud? Family Feud is a game that usually they come up with like a bizarre question that they have surveyed people by. And, uh, and so what they do is they put out on the screen the top answers that were given. So we're going to play Family Feud. And, uh, and here's the question that I have for you today. What is that one item, that one thing that you would never buy used? That's an actual real question, and there's real stats about it, believe it or not. So what would you say to my right? What is one item that you would never buy used? Mattress. Okay, that's one of them. Toothbrush. Okay, what? Underwear. Yeah, we, we got that. Well, let me give you the 10 top answers. Are you ready? Number one is medicine of any kind and any type. There's absolutely no medication. Do not ever buy used bottles of pills, okay? Be careful about your own life. Uh, number two is anything for a newborn. I mean, like, Chloe, would you ever? Don't buy anything used, right? You, you, we got him. Uh, mattresses, bedding, you know, all that stuff, pillows, sheets, etc. That was mentioned a number of times. How about food items? Like, would you buy a 
used burger? Never. <laughs> that made number four. Number five was perfume, cologne, cosmetics, or any body lotions, any toothbrushes, and all that stuff. You mentioned that. Upholstered furniture, number six. I have no idea why. I think I would buy an upholstered couch that, you know, in good shape. Yeah, all of you guys are saying, yeah, I'd buy a couch like that. Um, number seven, helmets, like for bikers and skiers and boarders and motorcycle riders and all that stuff. Helmets. Although I will tell you, when I had a motorcycle, I sold my helmet. Uh, stuffed animals. Yeah, you don't want to buy a stuffed teddy bear and give them to your little boy or little girl to hug at night. Ah, there might be some residue of other boys or girls that use that. Pots and pans are number nine. And number 10, puzzles or board games. Because if you have one, say if you would buy the one that Jim uses on Wednesday, if you're here and you're, you saw Prime and he just pours every piece, I don't know if he actually ever got all the pieces back in the bag, but don't buy his puzzle, all right? Well, you know, I think that it's safe to say that we all enjoy and prefer buying new things, new things. So, you know, you love, it's better to buy a new car, it's better to buy a new house, it's better to buy new furniture, new clothes, all of the new is better, maybe because in some way, we're made in the nature of God, and so because God creates all things new, maybe we like that same. We're kind of like in the nature of God in that sense. I don't know. But, what, you know, when God created a man and God created a woman, God gave us a design for a perfect relationship with him. We, all we have to do is just follow the design that God has left us in his word so that we can actually have a thriving and exciting relationship with God. But sin came into the picture, and sin broke that perfect relationship that God designed so that we would have with him. And so God had to do something creative. He had to go back to the drawing board. And so he created new people called Israel. It gave them a new identity, let them know that they were the, uh, the apple of his eye, that they were precious to him. And then God gave them a new land. And he sent them on a journey to possess this new land, the promised land. But then, when you look at God's people through the Old Testament, and you see that they have a new land, and, and everything is great, you quickly realize that there was something missing. They did not have a heart to match all the newness that God was bringing. And so, in Ezekiel chapter 26, uh, 36 and verse 26, uh, it tells us that God spoke to his people and said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God so desires that we have a thriving relationship with him, not a stale relationship, not one that is just so hard that we become hardened in our hearts, the heart of stone, but that we surrender to him and we soften up and we just love him the way that he desires to be loved. He desires to be worshipped like we did today. 
You see, God knows us. And he knows us that in order for us to be effective in the kingdom, he had to give us a new heart. And that is something that is so important for us to realize that Christianity is not a religion of the mind. It's a religion of the heart. It's a relationship with God. It's not based on mental arguments. It's not based on intellectual conversations. We don't sit down with God and we talk about, hey, what, God, you told us X, Y, Z in the Old Testament about this theological, eschatological, you know, salvation, this and all, and like big words with God. And we just sit down and we have a conversation. That's not what God is interested in at all. God is interested in having a conversation with us that is heart to heart. Real and lasting change and transformation can only happen when our hearts are open to Him. So how do we get a new heart? I'm so glad you asked. Our text today is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And verses 17 and 18. And I think we all know the scripture. We can probably quote it if we had to. But let's read it together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Now, we probably heard it, said it differently, slightly different in the different translations. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Right? It's the same thing. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Do me a favor. Look at the person next to you, whoever is close to you, and tell them, the old has gone. The new is here. Come on, go ahead. Tell them. The old has gone. The new is here. If you do not have anybody next to you next time, can I suggest you to find somebody to sit next to All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Aren't you glad that God doesn't count our sins against us? Oh, my God. Like, who would be able to stand in God's presence if he were to start counting all the bad things that you and I have done? I wouldn't. I would not be here. I would not be worthy to stand in front of you. None of us would ever be worthy. I don't care how popular a preacher could be. He would not be worthy to stand in front of you. I don't care how holy somebody can declare to be. They would not be able to stand before you because God would have to account to them what they have done. And I tell you, there's a lot of things that are done in secret that many of us know nothing of. And so he's not counting our sins against them. He has committed us to us the message of reconciliation. I'm so glad that it is up to you and I to share that message with others. And there's a couple of things that I want to, first of all, make as a premise and highlight in this passage. Number one, that we're invited to become a new creation. And this new creation is not just anybody or anything. It's a product of God. We are a product of divine doing, God's doing. 
This is a new creation story all over again. Except that this time, God is not creating animals, not creating nature, is not creating oceans. He is doing something different. You heard of the expression, an inside job. That's the title of our message today. It's an inside job. An inside job typically refers to the knowledge that someone has inside of an organization that can actually aid in determining a crime that was committed inside of that organization. So, for instance, if bank is robbed and they say it's an inside job that basically what happened inside that bank, it basically means that someone that was working inside the bank had knowledge of a vulnerability in the bank that would allow a thief or somebody to come in, steal, without anybody knowing anything about it. It's an inside job. God's doing an inside job, and he wants to do an inside job, a transformation in each and every one of us. Jesus on the inside. You know, we used to sing that song, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Anybody know that song? No, just one, two, three people. All the oldies. Jesus on the inside, Working on the outside. What an amazing change in our lives. That is what God does. The second thing I want to highlight before we get into the the text is that we're invited to make a ripple effect and invite others to become new creations just as we are. Just as what we have received, we give to others. We're agents of change for Jesus, basically. We're ambassadors. We're those who are entrusted with the message of reconciliation that we have just read about. So let me share a few thoughts that I hope will uh, encourage us as we consider this transformation that has to happen on the inside. Number one, this transformation happens when we are in Christ. When we are in Christ. If any man is in Christ, you say, as opposed to what? As opposed to being without Christ. It's a very simple equation. You either have Jesus in your life or you don't. And if you have Jesus in your life, something changes. If you've lived a life without Christ, you probably know that that is not the way you want to pursue your life, the way you want to live your life for the rest of your days. You know that life without God is not the same as life with God. There is, of course, there is happiness, right? If you have not yet come to a place in your life where you have accepted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, that doesn't mean that you're depressed, you know? I've known a lot of sinners who are very happy in life. They're making a lot of money. They got all kinds of things. They bank on that stuff to be the source of their happiness. But there's something different that happens when Jesus comes into your life. There's, some, there's a change. You say, what are you talking about? You mean like my happiness with the things that I have is not enough? Absolutely. For instance... How about loving people unconditionally? Not for what you can get, but for who they are. That's something that can only happen when Christ is in the, at the center of your life. Because you know what? 
for a lot of people, love has a hook. And so, you know what? I can get something from you. I like you. If I can't get anything from you, well, you know what? You don't serve a purpose for me. How about forgiving? When we normally, we would not have the power to forgive. But it's the love of God in us that allows us to forgive people that don't deserve to be forgiven. I'm not talking about the fact that, you know what, hey, you know, I'm just going to forgive everybody no matter what. Yes, there are some situations that we face in life that are difficult. And yes, we do forgive no matter what. But there's something that happens inside of us. When Jesus is at the center of our lives, we are able to extend the same forgiveness that God extended toward us to others. Remember, we read it in our scripture that we did not deserve his love. He did not account to us all of our issues and all of our struggles. So we're able to forgive. There's a change and a desire to do that because we love God. We love the Lord. And he just gives us that power. There's also a change of desire in our character. When you really think about it, our value system changes when God comes into the picture. All of a sudden, and it should, by the way, it should. If it is not, then you need to go back to the drawing board. You really do. We all do, if that's not the case. Our value system has to change so that it aligns to what? To what's right? It aligns to this book. Because everything that we need for power and godliness is in the Bible. Our relationship with God becomes the most important thing when Jesus comes into our lives. It's not just a, an aspect of, well, you know what? I'm now a Christian. I'm just going to go to church. And I'm doing, you know, check the box and, you know, read the Bible, check the box. Go to church, sing a worship song, check the box. There's a lot more to it. There's a transformation that happens on the inside. And what we do, we do because we love to do it. Because we love God. And it's not just forced. It's not something that is imposed on us. It is something that we enjoy and we love doing. You see, the transformation that we go through should be similar to that of a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. A caterpillar typically crawls until it goes through that process of being spun into a cocoon and then eventually breaks out of the cocoon. And the butterfly that has now, you know, has been crawling, all of a sudden now begins to open up. And a butterfly's purpose is to fly, not to crawl any longer. You see, sometimes we allow things in our lives to keep us stuck in a caterpillar mindset or a caterpillar mode. All we keep on doing is crawl around from place to place and place to... And God's purpose and intent for us and His calling for our lives is like, hey, do not look at you in the identity that you see yourself in. You are no longer a caterpillar. I want to transform you into a butterfly. That is the transformation that happens on the inside. If any man is in Christ... He is a new creation. We become new. No longer a crawling critter. <laughs> we become 
caterpillar. We become butterflies, beautiful in God's image. The old is gone. The new is here. That's God's desired identity for you. He does not look at you and sees a caterpillar. He looks at you and he sees a butterfly. Align yourself to that vision. Now, let me also say this. People that have been in your life, and there will be people in your life that will look at you and remember you as a caterpillar. They'll always say, oh, yeah, you know, Ty is just a caterpillar. And, yeah, you know, we used to do all that fun stuff together. But they haven't really bothered to ask what transformation? They haven't really seen the transformation that has taken place. Or they're ignoring the transformation because they like the caterpillar side of time. They don't like the butterfly side of time. Do not allow yourself, and I will not allow myself, to be aligned to the mindset of those who will not see me as God sees me. Do not allow people that do not see you as God sees you to speak into your life and to tell you what you are and who you are. You are a child of God. This transformation is not something that you put on and then you take off kind of like a coat on you. It's something that we put on because we love God. We embrace this transformation. We die to our desires so that we can become alive in Christ. We are changed on the inside so that the fruit of the character of God can be seen on the outside by those who do not know God. We must be effective, guys, not just impressive. There's so many people that spend most of their times trying to look impressive and try to come across impressive, but they're still deep inside a caterpillar. They haven't allowed God's transforming power to change them into butterflies. It's not about looking cool and looking good. It's about actually being and embracing the identity that God has for us. We must be effective, not impressive, so that we can make an impact in the kingdom. The second point that I see in this text is that through transformation, we are convinced, not by human arguments, but by the love of God. We are convinced because of the love of God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Look at what it says. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And then he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. We are convinced. You know, when my dad um, and our family started, were invited to church in, back in 1978, my dad was a hard man. He had lived a hard life. He did not care for God. He, his actual his purpose and intent for going to church was actually create a bit of a stir. That was his goal. He told us after his friend left the house that came to share the gospel message, he said, I can't wait to go to that church. I'm just going to start 
cussing him out. I don't know exactly what he wanted to do. He was just a little crazy guy. You know what, what happened? He, we actually sat on the second row on the left-hand side, it, probably exactly where Ty is sitting right now. That was My dad was sitting right there. And within 15 minutes of time, the Holy Spirit just gave him a big right hand, boom. And I look over, and I was sitting next to him, and I look at my dad, and he's just like weeping. I'm like, what is going on? You know what was going on? He was convinced, and he was convicted of the sin in his life that brought him to a place where he repented and began to realize, I need God in my life. You don't need to convince anybody. God does the convincing. God does the convicting. You know what? Everyone that my dad met after that, they all knew that something had happened in him, and that he was convinced, and it wasn't something that had been imparted to him, some kind of a brainwashing uh, type of uh, argument. It was the power of God that changed his life. That is the same power that God wants to use in our lives to change our lives. We should be part of that story. We need to be part of that story. We are part of that story. When God comes in, we are no longer ourselves. We are different. Look at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Say that with me. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what? If your life is not lived in the Son of God, is that lived in something else? And you be truly honest with yourself and say, how do I live my life by faith? In my abilities? In my knowledge of scriptures? In my way of argumenting and talking to people? How do you live your faith? How do I live my faith? It has to be in the Son of God. That is the goal. That we are in Christ, rooted in Him, strengthened in Him. That is God's desire for us. That ought to be our desire for our lives. Number three, the third thing that I see in this passage is that this transformation, through the transformation that God brings, we are strengthened and our position is strong. Our position is strong. You know, in Colossians chapter 2 and verses 6 and 7, it says this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. So He just told us that we need to live our faith in the Son of God. Now he's just encouraging us a little bit deeper in Colossians. Paul is saying, hey, you know what? Continue to live your lives in him. Rooted. 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 The roots got to go deep. We got to be planted in God. Rooted in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And overflowing with thankfulness. Oh, man. When we are rooted in God, 
We are built up in him. We are strengthened in the faith. How many of you have faced circumstances in life that literally left you so weak and defeated, and you thought to yourself, how am I going to get through this situation? How am I going to get through this situation? It is so hard. How am I going to do it? You know what? We are rooted and strengthened in him, and that gives us a position of strength in God. It's a simple equation. It's a simple equation. We are rooted in God. We are strengthened in God. If we are shallow in God, we are not strengthened in God. Does that make sense? Why is it that we allow ourselves, guys, to be convinced that we can just live our lives, Christian lives, superficially? We don't ever have to read the Bible. We don't ever have to, you know, uh, worship God or, or, or be engaged in with Him. And that, that is fine. And that circumstances of life come, and that's okay, because you know what? I'm just, what are you? Are you a child of God or your cousin? Your grandson, what, what, what are you? What am I under those circumstances? See, my faith has to be rooted and built up in God. Not my faith because of my parents. Not my faith because of what somebody else did. Not my faith because, you know, my neighbor is just a great man of God. No, it's my faith in God. When our lives are rooted in him, even the worst storms of life, and we will face storms of life, will not knock us off our feet permanently because we are strong. Our foundation is solid in God. And there's so much more to say, but you know, let me just say this, that the man who built the house on a rock and the man who built the house on the sand, we all know that passage. We know that those verses. When you build something on a rock, it speaks of stability. It speaks of strength. It speaks of authority. And it speaks of security. Sand, in the contrary, is brittle. It's treacherous. And it's unstable. You cannot build on sand. Now listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 16. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Pretty straightforward there, Jesus, isn't it? And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poisons, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they get, will get well. I would say that that's a position of authority, wouldn't you say? I don't know anybody that can actually do that unless it is by God and through God. I've never tried to pick up a snake alive with my bare hands. I did pick up a snake after I killed it, but not before. But Jesus is like, he is literally taking our mindset 
putting it upside down. That's why the, the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. And we say that all the time. Because our position of strength in God is to do crazy stuff. Like, okay, so you're talking about the fact that we can drive out demons, that we can speak in new tongues. Like, what in the world is that? Well, we can tell you more about that some other time. They will pick up snakes with their hands, you know, drink deadly poison. I'm like, who does that? Well, you read in the Bible, you actually see examples of that. Paul drank deadly poisons and wasn't killed. He was stoned. He picked up a snake after he was bit by it. I mean, he's like, guy. There are things that will happen in us when we become transformed by the power of God that will give us a position of authority and strength, a position of authority. You can't do any of these if you do it by your own strength. We got to be, our lives have to be built on the rock that is Jesus. This transformation will allow us, number four, <clears throat> to have a strong connection with the Father. And you know what? Jesus, in his earthly ministry, never did anything aside from the Father. Never did. You know what that's called? It's called obedience. Do you know that obedience is better than any sacrifice you can give to God? It doesn't matter what sacrifice you can and wish to bring to God. I'm going to give God a million dollars. Maybe you'll just like me then. I'm going to give God a house for a missionary. Maybe you'll like me then. I'm going to... doesn't really matter. Obedience is better than any sacrifice. And where is that? It's in the Bible, in 1 Samuel 15 and 22. If you want to write it down. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Number five, this transformation will make us sensitive to hearing the voice of God. Because our hearts will be tender. And you know what? God does still speak today. Don't be fooled. His voice is loud and clear. But let me tell you this. When it comes to hearing the voice of God, it cannot just be a monologue. You can't, we can't just go to God and say, okay, God, uh, I need one, two, three, X, Y, Z. And we make a list of all the needs that we have. And we don't take the time to see God in who he is, in the power of who he is, to stop, pause, and hear from him. Number six, this transformation will allow our minds to be renewed. And we need to have renewal of our minds. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve that God, what God's will is, is good, pleasant, and good will. You know what the biggest struggle is for all of us, I think? It's in the mind. It's right here. That's where we struggle the most. Too many voices that are clamoring in our culture, in our society, in this world for our attention. Is there any wonder that God said, do not conform yourself to the patterns of this world? If you put it in today's language, it's like, do not listen to this culture. Be careful what you listen to, who you listen to, what you abide by. Because you know what? This culture, the God of this age, right? 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus. 
How can we then, if they are blinded to the power and the light of the power of the gospel of Jesus, how is it that we can even follow anything that anybody says in this world unless it is the word of God? It makes no sense. And yet we do. Sometimes follow like little sheep. Okay, that okay. I'll do that. I'll do that. Remove the voices out of your head. All those clamoring voices. All those opinions. Gotta do this. Gotta do that. Gotta be like this. Gotta be like that. That's not what will help us. We must reject those voices and just listen to His voice first and foremost. Let me conclude. Saying this, then becoming a new creation is not becoming a super spiritual man or woman. It is not achieving perfection, but it is becoming more like Jesus. You want to be more like Jesus? I do. I want to be more like Jesus every day. Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19 says, Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. See, sometimes we don't perceive because we are stuck in the old comfort zone of the old lifestyles, the old places that bring comfort to our flesh because they're places of familiarity. We're familiar with the old. It kind of becomes kind of like that old pair of jeans that we put on all the time, and they just feel comfortable. And that's what we wear all the time because it's just the most comfortable pair of jeans. You put on a new pair of jeans, what do they feel like? They feel like a little, you know, I got to... Uh, do some squats or just like stretch it a little bit. God wants us to embrace this new thing with Him. If we're honest, we don't like change because we don't see immediate results. But how many of you that have ever done any kind of running know that if you're running, whether it's a or a 5K, or a 10K, or a half marathon, or a marathon. You have to go through a process. You can't just, like, all of a sudden decide, I'm just going to go run a marathon tomorrow. Am I right, Ty? He's a runner. you got to follow a program. You literally have to be careful with, our, with your nutrition, with your regiment, and then when you go out, you gotta have some nutrition, especially if you're doing those big runs. You gotta be in a place of readiness and preparation. We don't like that change because we would rather do that 100 meter sprint. You know, anybody can run a 100 meter sprint. You know, even if you're running in 12 seconds, it doesn't really matter. And some of these guys are running in like sub 10 seconds. I'm like, wow, they're like bullets. We are in a marathon, guys. Change and transformation in our lives will not happen at the rate of our whimsical thinking. It's going to happen as we humble ourselves and we allow God to transform us from the inside out. Maybe you're wondering, can God change me? I don't deserve it. 
Well, let me give you some examples. Moses was a murderer, but he delivered God's people. He was a stutterer. But God used him to write and declare the Ten Commandments. David also was a murderer. But God used him mightily to write probably some of the most amazing worship songs recorded in the New Testament. How about Rahab? No Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute. But God used a prostitute to save a nation. How can God use me? He used Rahab. How about Elijah? Elijah had some emotional issues. Some people say that he was depressed and maybe suicidal. But God used him to take a stand in his time and to declare prophetically the word of the Lord to kings because of his position in God. Joseph, Joseph was a dreamer. Maybe a little bit of a big mouth too. But God used him to save his people yet again. Gideon, Gideon was afraid. You know, we look at the end of the story and we say Gideon was a mighty man of valor. But you know what? Gideon was afraid. His confidence was in numbers. That's why he started with so many people at first. And then God said, ah, not that many, not that many, not that many. How about 300, Gideon? You want me to go 300 against like that huge army? Yeah. Because you know what? God does not work according to our mindsets. Gideon, for Gideon, God had to strip him of his self-reliance and reliance on military strategies and his mindset and taught him to trust in God. That was Gideon. I want you to know that God can renew you. He can restore you. And if needed, he can reboot you and he can regenerate you. All we have to do is to humble ourselves and remember that transformation is not just a label. It's a lifestyle. Transformation is not lip service. It's a life of service. Transformation is not about pretty words. It's about action. Have you been transformed? Are you taking action? And you ask yourself those questions in honesty this morning and say, God, where am I? Hey, thank you for watching the Sermon of the Week. We pray that you were blessed by it and you felt prompted to act upon what the Spirit of God was saying to you. If you live in the Charlotte area, we would love for you to come and worship with us at one of our weekend gatherings. That way you can find out more about our church family and what we value most. We encourage you also to give to our ministry so that we might continue spreading the gospel of Jesus to our city and throughout the world. To do so, you simply go to missioncommunity.cc, click on the Give button, and the rest is simple. Lastly, I would encourage you to check out the remaining content on our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe. That way you will receive all of the reminders for fresh content that we put out. Have a wonderful rest of your day. May God bless you and thank you again for watching this week's message.